Totally Football Show. Today, Firmino, says man at Stockley Park, kicking off weekend of controversy as Liverpool leave it late at Villa, while Man City have more crosses than a Kanye record and finally beat the Saints. We've got it all, the stumbles, the grumbles, the Andre Gomez horror tumbles, and some Steve Bruce on the can in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yeah, hello there, listener, and welcome to today's Totally Football Show featuring Jack Lang of The Athletic. Hi, James. Michael Cox, also of The Athletic. Hi, James. Hello to you both, and big bad Benji Lanyardo from the Stop Hammer Time hey, podcast. James. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, Benji. How are you? Good. Okay. All right. <laughs> that deteriorated quickly. Okay. <laughs> Weird weekend, eh? Would yes. you say? Yeah, I'm. Uh, are you sort of referring to Andre Gomez? That stayed with me. Did any of you guys actually see no, it? No. I, I turned the TV off straight away. I hate that stuff, and I cannot bear to look at it. I haven't seen a I picture. I suspect, listener, none of us have actually seen the injury. Michael, have you seen it? No. I right. saw it. Oh, you did? Yeah, and, and not on purpose. Just there was a frame yeah. where they showed yeah, the angle, and it was, I was in the no. pub watching it. It was horrible, okay. horrible, horrible. Well, listen, horrible. I mean, you're absolutely right to mention that, because as you say, it kind of dominates all other thoughts about the weekend and very best of luck to him because uh, from what I gather not good but he's already having surgery had surgery for a dislocated fracture is that right I'm not sure how that works but yeah yeah it's both if you dislocate your ankle bad enough you're gonna fracture it as well oh I see a world of pain anyway and uh, and yes well that was during uh, Everton's 1-1 draw with Spurs which finished off the Premier League weekend a Premier League weekend which saw the top four moving six points clear of the rest, uh, saw Sheffield United cracking the top six and saw the Hornets are now languishing six points from safety at the bottom. Also saw, or it looked like it was going to see, two very nearly massive surprises on Saturday. First one, City's 2-1 win over Saints, which in itself was quite a surprising scoreline, but not nearly as surprising as the 1-0 lead, which Saints took early on through James Ward-Prowse. Yeah, it was a fairly rare error from Edison, but one he was punished for, I thought. Uh, it was interesting when he spilt it, I thought he actually could have perhaps stayed on the back foot and then tried to block whatever shot came in from Ward-Prowse, but he opted to try and subsequently punch it, didn't quite get there. And yeah, that really set the tone for what was a just an encampment, basically, around the Southampton box. And City, for all their possession, for all their patience, I thought a lot of the time it was fairly two-dimensional, some right. of it. Uh, the stats are remarkable. They had 26 shots to Saints 3. Only four, though, were on target. They didn't have any on target in the first half, which is the first time that's happened at home since October 2016. And when they finally equalised through Sergio Aguero 70 minutes in, that was actually their first shot of the match on target. Quite Remarkable, but also from Southampton's point of view, this was a team that barely a week ago had been collapsing at home to less than 9-0, all of a sudden now shutting down one of the most potent attacking forces in world football. Yeah, I think it just shows that if you load pretty much every man by one behind the ball, you can make it difficult for any team. And City, there's an interesting clip that just went up today of Guardiola talking to his players as they were coming back out after half-time saying, don't just cross, cross with intention, because for much of that first half, they had just been hoisting balls into the box. It was brought to mind, actually, for me, that Man United game against Fulham, when they just banged the ball into the box a million times to no great effect. And it, it was like that for 30 or 40 minutes, because Sergio Aguero was not going to win any headers against Yannick Vestergaard. And yeah, just shows. Are, are you telling me David Moyes isn't having an influence on English football? <laughs> <laughs> Is there hope in this, do you think, for Southampton, Michael? Yeah, I think so. They performed quite well. Um, it was interesting how much City crossed the ball, as Jack says. But I thought it was interesting that the uh, the two goals came from the crosses they played from closest to the byline, um, which I think generally are more difficult to defend against. OK, if you're Kevin De Bruyne, you can cross from 30, 40 yards from the byline. But once you kind of get in behind the defence and turn it and cut it back a little bit, I think it's much more difficult. Um, and Kyle Walker, I think, was, was obviously very crucial in, in the win, both with the assist for the Aguero goal and then he got the win himself. He's one of those players who, you know, he's kind of been on the fringes, I think, a little bit. There was some speculation that when João Cancelo came in, maybe he'd be eased out, maybe turned into a centre-back. But he was uh, a kind of good old-fashioned, well, I say old-fashioned, 
uh, old-fashioned in the sense that he was getting down the line and crossing rather than coming inside into midfield as he often has under Guardiola. Well, as opposed to what? What's the other kind of old-fashioned? Well, I suppose when pundits say old-fashioned fullback, they would talk about someone who sticks in ah, his position. Right, okay. right. And they, they talk about a modern fullback who overlaps. Right. Whereas really the fullback has been overlapping for 20 years now. Quick note about Sissi. Uh, I'm not sure Fernandinho is, is the sort of centre-back solution that they're hoping him to be. You know, he got sent off for a stupid tackle last week. He, he was more or less responsible for Ward-Prowse being completely free to, to, to tap in the rebound. Um, and, and people have talked about how Pep converted Mascherano to a, to a centre-back. He did the same with uh, Javi Martinez at Bayern. They were much, much younger than Fernandinho. I'm not sure how, how easy it is to teach a 34-year-old new tricks. Sounds very fair. But that's the situation at the moment. Yeah, and I, but I, I still think that when the team know that there is a vulnerability there, it means there is less confidence with which they can sort of attack and surge forward in, in, right. in Man City ways. I still think there is, it's, it's in the back of their minds as they play still. Sounds like a good time for Liverpool to be facing them next weekend. Liverpool also stumbling and, and leaving it even later than City. Was it a coincidence that both these teams ran into problems at the same time? Was it because the Champions League coming up next week? Or was it because at the back of their minds, they're kind of already projecting forward to next Sunday's clash at Anfield? Yeah, perhaps to some extent. It's it's one of those things. These teams have got so many big games coming up in all competitions. There is naturally an inclination to, to look at fixtures against Aston Villa, against Southampton, and mentally just be a, a few percent off. Jurgen Klopp said after the Liverpool game that in the first half especially they were playing like kids and not warriors, which is what he wants them to be. And, well, in his selection, he left Fabinho out, which was a, a clear concession to the mm. upcoming City game because Fabinho was one yellow card away from a suspension. And, yeah, just a tiny lack of intensity that we do hear a lot about the Premier League being the best league in the world. But part of that is because just as three or four percent off a great team's best, and they can be troubled by by these sides. I think it, it was interesting to see them without Fabinho. Uh, and, and the sort of midfield three is, is where there is perhaps the only real question mark in Liverpool's side. But they've it feels as if Klopp has sort of answered that through sheer volume. They've actually got eight different players that can play in the midfield three. And and between them, you're going to find the solution somehow. So, you know, you've got Fabinho, who's the most locked in, then in no particular order, Wijnaldum, Henderson, the Ox, Milner, Lalana, Keita, even Shakiri, who can play in there. And actually, on, on, on Saturday, um, they were 1-0 down. They changed two of the midfield three and then came back to win 2-1. So they've right. he's got a lot of options there. Yeah. Header from... Robertson, wonderful header as well on 87 minutes. Mane again in stoppage time uh, after Trezeguet had opened the scoring. Of course, they wouldn't have needed these, those late goals reaches for can of worms with a sharp device. If Firmino's goal earlier on had stood, there was a lot of chat about that, although it was originally not given by the linesman anyway, wasn't it? So it's not even really a VAR controversy, a VAR armpit, a VARMPIT controversy. Yeah, I'd go along with your analysis, right. yeah. That's our VAR chat for today, <laughs> When the end-of-season DVD is made, how significant will this game be? Well, I think any any game in which a title winner... Well, I don't, you could be talking about Liverpool or City, but any game in mm. which the eventual title winner scores twice in the last few minutes, yeah, of course that's significant. These were the sort of games that Liverpool were prone to drawing last season, mm. and, and they didn't. They didn't, did they? Poor old Villa, who lost more points from leading positions than anyone. Again, Michael, were there positives for them to take from this, despite the lack of points? You're not looking convinced about this. Yeah, I think they played well first half. Um, they did create some good chances. I thought Trezeguet and Algarzi were both quite lively. Not particularly convinced by either of them, but I thought they were very good in this game and kind of upstaged their uh, fellow Egyptian winger, Salah, who was ah. taken off early. So yeah, they were good despite despite Grealish being out, who I think has been their best player this season. McGinn as well was very good. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem is they've done this a couple of times, haven't they, Villa? I mean, they were ahead against Arsenal and let the lead slip. So mm. I think they are a decent side, but 11 points from 11 games, I think they'll probably be a bit disappointed they haven't got more. Three points above the bottom three at the moment. Coming up midweek then, City head off to Italy to take on Atalanta, who... You will recall they beat 5-1 when they, they met last time. Uh, Liverpool, who are second in their group behind Napoli, will be hosting Genk, fresh from a 4-1 victory uh, against uh, the Smurfs in Belgium. That's that's what they call themselves. It's not me. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking more about that in our special Totally Football show, European special, Benji, which, as you know, drops at something like 5am, something crazy like that, because it's later on the continent, you know. 
uh, on it a is. Tuesday morning. Anyway, that's it's going to be so up in 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 that and teams getting to games on taxis and what Bayern Munich have done, like firing their manager and all sorts of mad biz. Then anyway, after all those continental fixtures, they face each other at Anfield Sunday afternoon. Pep expressing his admiration for Liverpool's ability to dive their way to late results. Uh, what was he? What was he up to? I don't know. I don't know why he brought that up, and I expect it could dominate the next few days of uh, media chat, which I'm sure will be absolutely thrilling. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was a strange one. Presumably, he'd heard about this money dive in this game that was taking place at the same time as his game. I don't game, know. Which seems odd. Or was he just generally suggesting that that's what they do? Well, maybe. But it, I can only think that. The dive in that game prompts him to mention it. Otherwise, it seems like quite a big coincidence. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they've usually seen a bit of highlights by the time they make it to the mix zone, I think. Yeah, but not highlights of other games. Well, maybe in this case, because they were so keen to know what Liverpool had been doing. I don't know. It could be sort of Mourinho-style distraction theory. You know, if he's basically throwing the press a bone to right. chew on for the next three, four days, so then maybe they don't give him too much attention. I see. Are you excited about this game, Benji? Because I'm not sure that Michael is. What? I'm really excited. Are you? Why, <laughs> why do you think I'm not excited? Well, just the way you spoke. But OK, why... why? Well, you asked me about Pep Guardiola talking about a dive, which I really don't care about. Right, I think the game, you... is br- the game is brilliant. Yeah. The game last year was one of the best games in Premier League history, I think, between the which two one? of them. The one that Man City won 2-1 at okay. the had. Right. I thought Liverpool were the dominant side for the first 45 minutes. Brilliant football. I mean, these are two of the greatest teams we've seen in the last... Well, during the Premier League era. I mean, that's the only game Liverpool have lost in the last, what, 50, 55 Premier League games. Yeah. Got to Champions League final twice in that in that time, and they're not even the best side in England. I mean, yeah, it's a brilliant game. Right. But I don't care about managers talking about diving. No. I, I can, you know, see your point. Uh, Liverpool, of course, haven't lost at home in two or three hundred years, again, to <laughs> quote Pep Guardiola. So do you think that gives them the edge this time? I, I don't think that in particular gives them the edge, but I would make them slight favourites. I think City have looked slightly wobbly at the back and in the defensive midfield zone with how much they've changed the defensive midfielders between playing in midfield and playing at centre-back. So, yeah, I just think Liverpool are a really good team and I would, especially at Anfield, would give them a slight edge, yeah. OK. If you want to see for yourself just how excited Michael is about that fixture, then struggle along on Friday night to the Liberty Hall in Dublin where Michael will be live on stage along with Julian Laurence and... Duncan Alexander. And then again on Saturday, same thing, same lineup, but a whole fresh new set when we descend <laughs> on the limelight in Belfast. Uh, oh, if you want further details, thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash events for more info. And of course, a whopping preview of the Anfield game will be coming up in Thursday's show. After this, though, Benji, set the controls for the heart of Stratford. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Benji, London Stadium, Saturday afternoon, West Ham taking on Newcastle. The Newcastle side who figures show had only scored one goal in their previous five games. And yet this one, it could have been a Southampton-Leicester. They could have been 6-0 up by half-time. Yeah, the score really doesn't tell the story of the game at all. Um, our, our goals were both quite random. And yeah, Newcastle should have won 4-0, 5-0. They were really impressive. Right. Uh, they, their back three gave very little away. They had a clear game plan. West Ham's performance had so few We'll come on to West Ham shortly. Okay. But John Joe Shelby was back in the Newcastle lineup. Yeah, they dropped both of the long staffs. Is that right? But one, both I think, was suspended. suspended. Mm. The yeah. other one didn't play. Maybe they only come as a pair now. Perhaps. Um, I'm not sure that Matty, for all his Man United exploits, is a regular starter. True. Um, but the game, again, I know Michael's a card-carrying member of the Alan St. Maximum fan club. Uh, <laughs> which, which I am I am too. It's, um, I mean, it was a mad, mad thing from Pellegrini to play Zabaleta up against St. Maximum. That was inexplicable. We had the fastest player in our squad, Ryan Frederick, sitting on the bench. This, you know, genuinely, the West Ham fans, I think, will have a lot of patience in Pellegrini because he's this wise guy, very experienced. That was inexplicable. And yeah, Alan St. Maximum and Almiron, they're sort of, you know, chaos theory on legs. And, you know, they come at you incredibly quickly. They usually make the wrong decision. But the kind of energy and power with which they run at you just discombobulates the defence. And so it wasn't, you know, none of their goals came directly from those two players. But I think they unsettled us so much 
um, that, that it, it makes them more vulnerable. It's a, lo- it's a lot of fun seeing both of them. I think Almiron is really bad. I think is he? Really so, so bad. <laughs> but it almost doesn't matter uh-huh. because he's so worrying for a defender to right. face that, you know, he's going he's gonna to send you in various different directions and other players in the team can exploit it. But yeah, Newcastle were annoyingly great. Um, and West Ham sucked. We were really bad. It's been maybe four or five games in a row now where we've looked pretty incoherent and none of our attacking players who, you know, that's our strongest area, have been able to change the game like, dare I say it, someone like Arnautovic mm. used to be able to over the last uh, few years. So yeah, I think Pellegrini's got, got a job to do there. Okay, Pellegrini said he didn't know why they were so bad. Do you, Benji? I noticed that you asked people on Twitter. What did they reply? There's so many different answers. I think this is the thing. It's not immediately obvious what the problem with West Ham is. Mm. Uh, you know, we've got plenty of good players. Declan Rice is a good player. He's just not playing particularly well. The only thing that a few different people have said is that the team have lost confidence since Fabianski uh, got injured. Right. Roberto is, is, is not a good replacement. Frustratingly, the ideal replacement we sent off to Liverpool in, in, in Adrian. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Ogbonna didn't do much wrong before he was dropped and uh, mm. Balbuena came straight back in. Um, same with Fredericks and Zabaleta. So yeah, I don't really know. How many of your replies reference the manager Manuel Pellegrini? Very few. Really? So Very the faith few, yeah. is still strong in... I think so. I mean, he's clearly an upgrade on the last two or three managers that we've right. had. You know, this guy's the won. bar set so very high on that. <laughs> True. Well, no, we played some lovely football under Billich for a little while. Oh, yeah. And he's doing really well at West Brom. Hmm. But, you know, th- th- this guy is probably the highest calibre manager we've ever had. You know, right. he's took Villarreal and Malaga into the Champions League. He won, you know, won the league with City. OK, it's not necessarily that hard. But I think we've got to trust him. But there are a few things that raise significant question marks, at, you know, like Zabaleta versus Alan Maximin. I'm quite pleased for Steve Bruce. I must say I didn't have any faith in him at the start of the season. I had Newcastle to go down. But uh, I just think it's quite a nice story for him that he's doing so well. And, uh, right. you know, he was... There's been a lot of talk about the, the you know, rift between him and supporters. But I think supporters were just underwhelmed with him as an appointment. And I think Newcastle fans, if if they start winning, they're not, they don't have a vendetta against the manager nope. and they'll get behind him. And, you know, I was quite like to see Newcastle doing well. Mm. I think Benji did a great job of highlighting the the madness that Sam Maxman caused there. But what stood out to me in those two occasions when he got free of the West Ham defence, both of which were, were counter-attacks, West Ham were really in Newcastle's half, the player that was back tracking him, obviously Sabaleta was trailing in his <laughs> wake, but the, the guy that got back close to him was Felipe Anderson, Anderson on yeah. both occasions. Oh. So he's someone you want to be, obviously, on the edge of the, the Newcastle box. But such was West Ham's disarray that you know he is unbelievably fast so that was a factor but he felt he had to bail the team out on these two occasions that, that's really damning I think it's worrying and to put West Ham's form into a bit of context um, I think I've mentioned it on here before but on the Stop Hammer Time podcast we track the Uncle Jeff coefficient the Uncle Jeff coefficient uh, yeah. when you know, compare this season's results to mm. the equivalent fixtures last year mm. West Ham are currently on minus seven wow you know, so last year we had a sort of okay season mid-table season right. and we're currently seven points worse, worse off in the e- equivalent equally fixtures. is it just West Ham's results that you track on yeah, the uncle personally right. yeah uh, there's not other uncles maybe that follow different different teams Team's fair results. Uh, listen, if you do have an uncle who does follow another team, we'd love to know how they're faring because obviously we could do the work ourselves. But Almiron, it will break my heart if he scores a goal there because nailed on to spend three happy seasons on Tyson without ever <laughs> troubling the net. Always somehow, even on in that, it was he was so set up to score. I just think he's never ever going to he's score. He's not going to score. It's like watching Benteke at the moment. You just sort of know it's not going to happen, mm. and it's. Obviously, he'll, he'll get like one in off his ass or something like that. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe he then becomes brilliant. Because think? I think that that is just the kind of elephant in his room. He just can't sort of shake it off. And I do wonder if there is a you know a brilliant player in there that's wait, waiting to be unleashed. Well, he certainly lit up MLS with uh, Atlanta. Uh, speaking, by the way, Michael, of nice stories about Steve Bruce on the job, d- did you catch one of the most remarkable insights into the Bruce lifestyle uh, that came courtesy of the Newcastle Chronicle in the build-up to this game. Basically, he's talking about how difficult it is with the team that he's got now compared to the kind of players they used to have. And this is a direct quote. He says, and we don't have Matt here to do the voice, sadly, but he says, when you look at the recent history, I was sitting on the loo last week, turning over the paper. I saw Shearer and Ferdinand and I thought, wow, wow, we had the best centre forward in England. Probably the best centre forward that's been English for a long, long time. That's great, isn't it? I mean, how how relaxed is he to just come out and discuss that? Especially because it leaves open the possibility that he doesn't know you can open a paper, just turns it over front to back. 
Doesn't no, get I think he means turning over the pages of the paper, okay. Jack. He didn't specify. Right. Um, yeah. That's right up there with uh, Daniel Farker's uh, comment this week uh, after Norwich got beaten by Brighton in the game you went to see, Michael. Mm-hmm. We said, you have to have a mentality like selling hoovers. You have to knock on many doors. Did you see that? Yeah. I, yeah. It might be an <laughs> idiom in, in German, you know. Maybe. Yeah. Let's Let's believe that. Excellent. All right. So West Ham with... Many, many worrying problems. And Newcastle, a fantastic result for them, which sees them rise not that far, to be fair. They're in 15th still, but they are now four points clear of the drop. Right, how much fun was Watford-Chelsea? You had Foster performing miracles, almost scoring. You also had Frank Lampard confirming kind of two of our Totally Football Show theories. One that VAR's actually not very good, and the other one... off like that because 2 nils always a dangerous scoreline if they get the one back. There we go. Um, That's right. It's official. What a team, though, Chelsea. They've scored the same number of goals as Liverpool, but conceded as many as West Ham and Newcastle. Yeah, they're really exciting. It's actually... A, I look at their fixture each week for, you know, potentially sitting down to watch it because... I think they're okay at the back. They're certainly improving at the back, but they will still give the opposition uh, a chance. Even before Watford scored, there were there were a couple of opportunities. Delafeo sent one really close, just wide. But yeah, I think they're getting better and better in the attacking sense as well. There, me- we've mentioned it before on the pod, but they're getting so much more out of the the deeper midfield too. Typified here, of course, by that that gorgeous Jorginho ball, which I think he has always had that in his locker, but. Maybe because of the way Sarri played last season, he was not encouraged to try that every every now and again. So what's he doing differently now under Frank that he wasn't doing or wasn't being allowed to do with Sarri? I think he's just been given a little bit more freedom to take risks, essentially, because Sarri's, the brand of football he played was, I suppose, fairly structured in the midfield. He wanted short passes. He wanted to build it up fairly uh, systematically, I think, whereas... Every now and again, when the pass is on, Jorginho, he did it a couple of times earlier in the season as well. I forget which match, but him and Kovacic seem to have the just the permission to, you know, I'll try and swing that ball over. If it doesn't, doesn't come off, then fair enough. But I think it's, it's a mental thing more than anything. And the fact that they have in Abraham someone who's making uh, probably better runs, I would say, than, than the strikers did last season. I think that has freed them up as well. I, I think Jorginho is still mostly doing Jorginho-y things. Um, and it's actually to Lampard's credit that he hasn't sort of thrown the Jorginho out with the Sarri bathwater. The player he's really transformed is, is Kovacic. Um, he, was a, he was mostly shuttling last year. And this year, he's bursting forward. He's, I think he's made twice as many... Uh, he's making twice as many forward runs per game as he did last season. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, massive kudos to Lampard. And, and, and there's a few other things. Like, if you'd said last year that Mount, Tamori and Abraham would be starting every game for Chelsea, you know, it'd been called wishful thinking. And I found myself thinking two almost certainly over-the-top things during this game. One is that at times, Christian Pulisic looks a little bit Eden Hazardy. Uh, and two, I wonder if Lampard is a future England manager because he seems like he's he's possibly the real deal. Wow, throwing it out there, Benji. Mm. You'd have him at West Ham, wouldn't you, Benji? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just a he, word. He, I'm not sure he'd take that uh, no. opportunity. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't leave under the best circumstances. Mm. Uh, just a word on Ben Foster. Obviously, yes. the header at the end got yes. all the replays, but I thought that save from Pulisic that was one of the best saves I've seen for. Five, six years, easily. Really? Yeah, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. And I thought it was quite underplayed on the commentary, mm. actually. Obviously, that they said it was a good save. But I thought it was absolutely stunning the way he contorted himself. Didn't have a lot of time. Right. Um, and then just, just the calculation of the angles, because he was bent over backwards. He could have easily got a hand to it and yet still you know, tipped it into the corner of the net. I thought it was absolutely glorious. And Politic is weirdly good in the air for a tiny little winner. Mm-hmm. Right. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Do you remember Tim Cahill? Mm-hmm. Yeah, saw a lot of him on Sky Sports on Sunday. Did you? Right, okay. But Ben Foster, fabulous saves throughout the game. And then at the end when he came up for that headed effort, which means he's now, courtesy of Duncan Alexander, had as many shots on target this season as Divock Origi and Paul Pogba. He also came within a whisker of becoming the first keeper to score on another keeper who's also conceded to another keeper. Nice. Okay. Very nice, but it didn't, didn't work out. Or what did work out, Dale Lefeo scored. Again, this courtesy of Duncan. Uh, De La Fe, no longer the Premier League player this season to have had the most shots without scoring. That baton is passed to... Zaha? It is Wilfred Zaha of Crystal Palace, 
whom we will be discussing very shortly. Watford still bottom of the pile, six points from safety. Their next three games, they do look a little bit better. They're away at Norwich. Then they have Burnley at home. Then they're down at St Mary's taking on Southampton. And and the score, again, doesn't reflect the game. They were rubbish, Watford. De La Faux and Gray was sort of whatever the opposite of a strike partnership was. And and really, Watford, since since that second half against Arsenal in, in Sanchez Flores' first game, haven't done very much. Um, so yeah, I, I would be very. So is he worried. not? You've not seen much in the way of because they've been keeping it tighter, haven't they? They've had clean sheets and the like. Maybe I still think that a lot needs to change if Watford aren't going to go down. Anyway, Chelsea taking on Ajax on Tuesday. Michael, I, I bet you're excited about that game. I'm I'm going to it. Which Are you I'm, going? Uh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny one this Champions League round because we've obviously just seen all these fixtures. Mm. So sometimes you're a little bit like I've just seen this game, but the first game between them was obviously very tight. Chelsea won it late on. Ajax a good side. Last season in the Champions League, they're actually better away from home, I think, than at home. Really? So, yeah, I think it should be quite a, a close game. And it's also very close at the top of the group. They're both on six points. Um, so, yeah, it's a proper... You'd think whoever wins this will probably qualify. Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games. That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. Eatonplusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. So has Park, where Palace will be taking on Chelsea next weekend. This weekend, lost 2-0 to Chelsea's top four rivals, Leicester. Only Man City had beaten Palace at Selhurst Park since early March. Some would say this 2-0 win was every bit as impressive as Leicester's previous victory, that 9-0 against Saints. Michael. Would they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd, I think I'd prefer to win 9-0. I must well, say. yeah, but, you know, against Saints. Are nine goals against Saints kind of in dog years worth the same as two at Southers Park? It's the exchange rate these days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can vaguely see that. I didn't think it was a particularly eventful game, but I think Leicester nope. did very well to basically deny Palace any real opportunities. Palace didn't produce anything in this game. Obviously, it took Leicester quite a while to make the breakthrough. Their biggest threat really was set pieces. Johnny Evans had a couple of headed opportunities and then <laughs> Soyuncu, obviously, who's who's getting a lot of praise this season, mm. and rightly so. Uh, I mean, the highlight really was was the Vardy goal, which I thought was... And the Vardy goal celebration. What Big is flappy bird wings. I have no is idea. Is that just an eagle, you know, because Palace have got the eagle uh, that flies around? Oh, maybe. But I always think when this happens, it's probably a reference to some... You know, young person thing I'm aware of. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure it means something given that it's it's Jamie Vardy. It was very well enacted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the wings were really... Flappy. Very <laughs> flappy. Very much so. Um, it, a ground with painful memories for, for flapping and, uh, you know, for Rodgers. You know. Yes. But yeah. uh, this time, uh, a performance which confirmed their role as real top four contenders. There are only two points behind Man City. Will City to slip up next weekend at Anfield? Well, I'm not sure who Leicester are playing. But anyway, you know, potentially they could be... Arsenal. They're, they're playing Arsenal. Mm. Wow. All right, we'll talk about the... Should we talk about the Arsenal now or do you want to talk about your trip to Brighton? I'm happy to talk about either. What do you think, Benji? Love Brighton this year. Yeah, OK. Yeah. Why do you love Brighton this year? They're just so counterintuitive, doing lots of weird things that are working. Like? Like playing two little guys up front. Oh. Like Connolly and Morpé are both... You know, how many Premier League teams can you think of that play two little guys up front? What? Dan Byrne, the tallest player in the league, is playing left-back. Connolly and Morpé could do that thing they do in films where like, one goes on the other one's shoulders and they wear like, <laughs> a long trench <laughs> yeah. coat yeah. and they'd be about the same size Between them, they'd Dan be Lucina Traore. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in the laws to say they can't, you know? Or, you know, on set pieces, I'm just saying not. Actually, you know, no, you're play. wrong. You can't, you can't do a rugby-style line-out can at you set not? piece. No, it's ungentlemanly, ungentlemanly conduct. Right. Okay, thanks for that. So anyway, uh, you went down uh, to see two teams trying not to, Brighton and Norwich this weekend at the Amex. And what did you make of it? I thought it was just a good entertaining game. I mean, Brighton obviously under Hewton were not a particularly good footballing side. Norwich, well, when they were last in the Premier League under Hewton were not a good footballing side. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that feels like it should be a bit of a dull game on almost on paper. But they're both just really good footballing sides. I thought, you know, the scoreline was pretty much fair. 
Norwich didn't have a shot on target, although I thought, strangely, their best player was Pukki, who I must admit I kind of thought of as just a finisher, but actually his all-round game was fantastic. He was really Norwich's most creative player. And the breakthrough came really from two subs, Trossard, who came on to poke home the first, and then he assisted Duffy for the second. I think the peculiar thing about the second goal is kind of football management 101. You don't make a substitution when you're defending a set piece. Right. Farker made a double substitution and the two players who came on were defending the exact zone that uh, Duffy oh. got a completely free uh, free run at the ball. And, and to be fair to Farker, he actually brought that up in the press conference afterwards and said, along the lines of, it's basically a thing I never do, but I was just so desperate to make subs right. as soon as possible that I threw them on. But he obviously regrets that now. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you have to go door to door selling hoovers. Do you have any, would you, I mean, was there anything in the game that made you think of vacuum cleaners? No, I thought the analogy sucks. Ah. Right. Hey. Uh, well, uh, next up, Norwich will be heading to, uh, oh no, home. Watford. Well, Brighton uh, will be facing another of the strugglers, Man United. At old Trevor, Man United, yikes, who just went and lost 1-0 at Bournemouth. Yeah, um, I know there's been a bit of talk on recent pods about how maybe Eddie Howe has, has taken uh, Bournemouth as, as far as they can get. And I think there's an, there is an argument in that. However, uh, that squad really is, is littered with players whose careers Eddie Howe has made. So you look at someone like Nathan Aki, he, he right. was, no one knew if he was a right back or a centre back. You know, Chelsea were quite happy to take the money for him and he was linked with transfers three or four times what they paid for him this summer. Uh, Ryan Fraser was signed from, from Aberdeen, was one of the most creative players in the league last year. Callum Wilson was signed from Coventry when, when they were in League One. And Steve Cook, who I think is probably the least fashionable player in the Premier League, um, who still, he, he looks about 45, apparently mm. he's, he's 29. Mm-hmm. Um, he, was, he was released by Brighton, picked up by Eddie Howe uh, when they were in League One and was man of the match against Manchester United in the Premier League. So, yeah, he's still doing a brilliant job there and United are just pretty much exactly where they should be in the league. Where, where are United now? Tenth, mid-table. I think that actually probably flatters them. Right. They're tenth. They are two points and two places below Brighton, uh, who they will be facing next weekend. Also, league goals since the beginning of September, Romelu Lukaku eight, Man United six. So that was good business, eh? Do we keep going back to that? I know a lot of people want to talk about their midfield or lack of lack of one. Uh, I mean, Rashford and Martial looked like it was going to be a bit of a solution up top. That's not worked out. I think it, I think it still could be. I think the midfield thing, I know we banged this drum a number of times, but that is still, for me, the the main issue there. I think Pogba, for all his, uh, you know, for all the doubts over him, I think he does offer something that the others don't. And it's it's quite damning to me on the number of occasions these this season when, when Martial and Rashford haven't conjured something between them. Often United's best uh, option when they need a goal is is Scott McTominay long shots. Mm. They kind of create space and he unloads. He's quite good at it and he's actually uh, he's really gone up in my estimation actually over the last couple of months and he's probably alone in that in the Manchester United squad because I think the rest is just fairly disorganised. I completely agree with um, about McTominay. I, I like him more and more. He, he's actually a bit of an all-round midfielder. I thought he was a bit meh. Well, you know, last season, this year, he's their best player by 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 a mile. He just needs the rest of the team around him to to to, to hit his level. I mean, I, I agree on that. I think he's done all right over the last month or two. But I've got a theory that whenever you get a big side struggling, the energetic midfielder is the one who looks good. Very true. I mean, I remember when Liverpool rubbish under Hodgson, and people were like Real Morales is really good. <laughs> Guendouzi at Arsenal. Yeah, same thing. Ramirez had a great spell at Chelsea when they were struggling really badly. Right. I mean, it's just if if nothing's working, the guy who runs around just tracks your attention. Yeah. But I agree. I think he's he's improved a lot. Hmm. Excellent. Do you fancy Brighton at, at Old Trafford next weekend? I think they can give him a yeah a decent go. I mean, the remarkable thing about this Bournemouth game was when you go to Bournemouth, it's such a small club. You know, like the ground is tiny. The players all sound like you know, people you went to school with kind of thing. <laughs> and they beat Manchester United and it was so uneventful. It was like yeah. the second last game on match of the day. There's pretty much nothing to say about it. Bournemouth pretty much played how we expect. United played how we expect. And Bournemouth won one nil. It's just, it's so standard for Manchester United. Right. It's bizarre. But yeah, I mean, Brighton can can play that way. I think they're very good technically. Um, I was chatting to Andy, who, who does uh, Brighton coverage for The Athletic. 
And he said, oh, Brighton haven't won at Old Trafford since, God, those 1950s or something. You but like there, stats like that. Well, but there's so many teams who haven't won for ages right. at Old Trafford and then have gone to Old Trafford and won. So yeah. that kind of stat has almost become less relevant. Absolutely. You know what? There is one United side that's doing well that's cracked the top six and it's Sheffield United. We'll talk about them next. Sheffield United. Into the top six they go after a 3-0 win over Burnley. Well, do you know what? They're only goal difference ahead of Bournemouth in seventh. What a remarkable-looking Premier League table. What a remarkable game this was, and performance in particular from John Lundstrom. Wow. Yeah, he was a player I didn't know a lot about when they came up to the Premier League. He's a player I almost don't want to know too much about. I, I love it when a, someone comes up from the Championship. You know, I, cards on the table. I do not watch a lot of Championship football. Uh, and he's just so good kind of runs like a steam train from the perfect fit in that system really because he looks like he could play probably right back he could probably play right center back right he's just kind of durable great engine great technique as well and really times the runs and i think right. that's that's something that uh chris wilder's system really brings out in kind of that midfield triangle they attack so much down the flanks that that whichever player is on the opposite flank in the midfield three has a real great opportunity to burst late into the box. John Fleck, mm. uh, his goal didn't come from a cross, but he also has obviously a, a good nose for for when to make those runs. And yeah, Lundstrom, I, I don't really want to read about him because okay. in my head he's just uh, kind of hewn from granite championship. It's pretty much. Great. And he's probably, he's probably one of the most famous footballers in the country because... He was wrongly listed as a defender on fantasy football, right. and a really cheap defender. Mm. And now, <laughs> someone's telling me like eighty percent of Premier of fantasy teams have got John Lundstrom in them. Well, as somebody so pointed out, the world is divided up into two kinds of people: those that do have John Lundstrom, and those that that don't. And you could probably, I mean, there's a bunch of other bargains in there. I must admit, I don't know too much about Lise Mousset, but um, I probably should. Yeah, it was a strange signing because he hadn't looked particularly prolific at Bournemouth, um, but led the line well here. I mean, the thing I liked about this game was the first two goals were so similar. You mm. rarely see that, but both goals, Stevens and McGoldrick combined down the left, then across into the box. And Moussa, for both goals, got a weird little touch that I couldn't really work out whether he meant it or not. Mm. Um, and then, well, obviously, Lundstrom coming in at the far post, but I'm not sure whether that was something they worked on. It's probably more a case, just that's quite a standard uh, Sheffield United move. And then, weirdly, for the third goal McGoldrick won the ball and released Fleck and then later he won the ball and really sharp sharp didn't actually score on that occasion yeah. but they almost scored uh, two pairs of identical goals which I would have been a big fan of I wanted to give Mousset the benefit of the doubt on the, f the f I mean the second one was obviously just a miss hit but the first one uh, if he meant it that is one of the best passes <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen <laughs> all right like, genuinely it was there's no way to prove it and if you asked him I'm sure he'd say he'd, say he did mean he did. it but if he did, that was up there with that Gooty pass. Right. <laughs> the back heel for Benzema. Just the absolute vision of it. Because Ackland Hanif was asking this week, after Jorginho's effort on the weekend, what's the best pass you've ever seen? Perhaps you'd like M to... Moussa. You'd nominate Moussa. <laughs> yeah. The Blades have now only been beaten by Liverpool in their last six. As for Burnley, the previously kind of rock-solid resolute at the back, Burnley, they've now conceded seven goals in the last two games. Dyche has a ban on gloves, hats and snoods at the training ground. Did you know that? <laughs> no, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, Is there anyone in football as determined to live up to <laughs> people's <laughs> preconceptions of him than Sean Dyche? That's just great. I don't know. Chris Wilder, maybe, because he, he's also got some kind of quite exacting standards for his players. Apparently, uh, before the um, League Cup game against Oxford, he made the players type up a dossier on their opponents. And if it contained any grammatical mistakes, he sent it back. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. People often ask why Daesh doesn't get linked with bigger jobs. And I sort of wonder if it's because he's just continually coming out to try to prove how old-fashioned he is. Maybe. Maybe so. Arsenal, mentioned them before, a 1-1 draw with Wolves. And loads of talk at the moment about revelations of people within the Arsenal organisation meeting up for dinner with Mourinho and him suggesting all the players he'd like to bring in to replace people like Granit Xhaka. Uh, some talk that Unai Emery has only got two games left. This certainly was the third match in a row that they took the lead and didn't win. And I think Arsenal fans are particularly upset at Emery's approach to the, the kind of concluding minutes of this game where they were chasing the result and he, he brought on Kolasinac for Tierney rather than, say, Pepe. What? Well, do you have any strong thoughts about Emery and whether his, his time should be up or 
I thought Arsenal were really bad in this game, actually. I know they went ahead, but I mean, they, they changed system. They brought Ozil in, played 4-3-1-2, but the midfield was just bypassed so easily. Down the flanks, when the Wolves' wing-backs were overlapping and also between the lines when Jimenez was coming short. No pressure on him. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult really to make a case for what, what Emery is giving to Arsenal at the moment. There's just so many strange decisions. Um, that one in particular, I kind of, I think that's largely irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, but... Yeah, it's kind of the, uh, you know, a lot of these decisions are the straw that's broke the camel's back in terms right. of Arsenal fans' support for him. And f- no shots in the second half just speaks to a, a lack of drive or, or, or what? Yeah. Bamiyang was captain. The whole captain thing, I think, is they've made this. They've made this an issue for themselves. Um, it's a bit of a tangent, but we had James Collins on the Stop Hammer Time podcast recently, the, the Welsh centre-back. Um, and West Ham, I think, have benefited from having a great captain for quite quite a few years in, in, in Mark Noble. Um, and Collins told a story about when Noble felt, or you know, generally agreed that the team was in a bit of a funk, he would ask James Collins in training to put in a terrible tackle on him. Then they'd have a pre-orchestrated fight. Then they would get broken up by the rest of the team and, and they'd apologise to everyone. But the message was, these guys are really fired up. You know, why, why aren't you? Um, and, and actually, maybe that could be quite a good thing for Xhaka because one, one of the things that he's <laughs> very good at is putting in terrible, terrible, terrible tackles. But um, yeah, I, with, with that team, generally, Michael's right. When teams are playing poorly, you notice the guy running around a lot in midfield. Mm. I think Guendouzi should be the captain of Arsenal. Just get it, get it done. Um, and that could go some way towards having a leader on the pitch if they haven't necessarily got one on the bench in Emery. Really? Yeah. Okay. Guendouzi captain. Also, by the way, why does Nuno Espirito Santo never get talked about for these big... He would be a brilliant Arsenal manager. He'd be a brilliant Man United manager. Is it just that he's sort of locked in by Mendes at Wolves? I don't know. To be fair, I was looking at the odds for the next Arsenal manager and he's relatively high. Oh, who else is up there? Well, Mourinho is number one. Arteta's yeah. number two. Alan then you've got, <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly not, to one. then you've got, um, I think maybe the most intriguing name is Allegri. And then you've just got a load of like ex-Arsenal legends. Like Who would Thierry you like Henry. to see? As someone with leanings in that direction. I, I mean, I really wanted Arteta to come in beforehand. Right. So I think that would be the, the logical approach. Although maybe the board would be reluctant to admit that they got the wrong decision two years ago because it was I mean for a long while it looked like it was going to be him it wasn't them making the decision the person who's made that decision maybe has moved on could they not sell it that way maybe Edu is very good friends with Patrick Vieira yeah and he's really lighting things up (laughs) I think Mourinho would be so much fun at Arsenal it would be carnage he is like the least Arsenal-y manager you can imagine I think he'd just go in there and kill everyone and start all over again don't you think it'd be really fun to see no for everybody else for sure do you, do you do you think it's genuinely a, a thing? Because I remember it came up a couple of weeks ago. I think it was uh, Lindsay who brought it up and we all kind of scoffed and rolled our eyes. But here we are three weeks on discussing it as a, as a very real possibility. I and mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't. And it would be hilarious. It'd be so funny. Yeah. But like, we have just seen the Mourinho thing now. Like, it's been funny in that. But we have seen it before. Like, right. I kind of want a different manager at a top club right. for some different storyline rather than what we saw at Chelsea five years ago and what, what we saw at United. Right, rather ago. than him joining a club which has really struggled to replace an iconic manager who'd been there for absolutely ages <laughs> and has all sorts of problems defending, etc. and so on. Interesting. Well, as you know, there'll be some chat about odds. Is that in the chat? Uh, yeah, OK. Uh, as you know, there, there, there is a bit of a discussion about odds a little bit later on. So, uh, hey-ho. We'll move on now as Arsenal and Wolves share the points there. Sixth time, by the way, that Wolves have come from behind this season to draw 1-1 in all competitions. And uh, finish off with Everton's 1-1 draw with Spurs, which has been described as the worst game of the season on a number of levels, principally for poor old Andre Gomez. But in terms of the football as well, before and after, was pretty abject. Well, uh, the first half was the worst half of football I've seen this season. Really? It was just, the quality was so bad and you just, sometimes you just sense on television that there's no atmosphere in the ground and there was almost, it felt kind of inconsequential. I think both Everton and Spurs fans are so kind of bored of watching their team at the moment and... I mean, Spurs, aside from the goal, which was really gifted to them by Alex Iwobi's very poor pass, mm. just created nothing. I mean, not a single, even half chance aside from that. What was the story with uh, Harry Kane? He's, he's got a virus. Okay. It was the kind of game, as Michael said, you almost expect them to put out an appeal, like for wanted final ball, if found, <laughs> call 0800 Goodison. It was, there was just absolutely nothing, nothing there. And, 
there were there was good play in central midfield actually from both sides. I thought I thought the way Everton set up with a midfield three. Uh, I mean, maybe you couldn't really justify it against Tottenham because they're not very good at the moment. But I think that perhaps will be a way forward for them against the better teams. I thought they played competently. But in terms of excitement, there was it was just completely nothing there. Right. With, with the Gomez thing, um, obviously you don't want to talk about it too much, but I, rem- I always remember when um, David Boos had that horror injury and Schmeichel uh, needed counselling mm. afterwards because you know, he was so traumatised by what he'd seen. It's not that dissimilar to seeing like a car crash or something, yeah. seeing, seeing something horrible. And I do sort of hope that Son and, and Aurier and whoever else was sort of there on the scene is offered the same sort of support. I think everyone pretty much agrees that that shouldn't have been a red card for Son. It was absolutely not his fault. Um, but he may well need a few games off because he was just completely distraught. That's you know, a, an interesting horrible. point. And on the subject of the red card, what was confusing was not just the decision to give it to him, which, to be fair, happened in the heat of the moment, and it was an emotional time, I'm sure, for everyone on the on the field. But the justification that was then issued by the Premier League, who said that the red card was for endangering the safety of a player, which happened as a consequence of his initial challenge. It's, which, emba- it's embarrassing. That is just complete nonsense. How how can it possibly you know you you don't know what's going to it was it was a foul that was it you can't the blame cannot be put on Son at all and I think they should overturn that red card it's kind of irrelevant because mm. the the thing that matters is, is Gomez but it's definitely not a red card I mean I think it's a kind of foul that should be a red card right okay a straight red yeah he's 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 made no attempt to play the ball whatsoever he's only gone for the player it's it seems to be pretty much a freak accident that yeah. he then right. suffered a serious injury but I'm not quite sure why football's laws are so forgiving to players who have, n- have not trying to play the ball mm. like the Guendouzi tackle same same sort of thing yeah, yeah yeah, exactly both for sporting reasons and for safety reasons I, I, interesting th- I think yeah. you should just have to play the ball and people say oh it's you know it's part of football to take a yellow but why why are we forgiving people saying oh that was just a, you know standard yellow card it's the kind of thing you see every game and it is but why do the laws allow that if if son knew he was going to get a red card for that he wouldn't make the tackle it's right. a slightly separate debate to the injury but uh, i i think football's laws will evolve in five ten years time and and we'll get rid of these tactical fails mm. on an unrelated note mark deneras is ryan sessignon's 111th minute debut for spurs <laughs> a world record <laughs> <laughs> was great. that his first appearance yeah yeah crikey and you know that it did go that deep, not only because of the injury, but you know I'm, I don't want to talk about VAR and I won't talk about it. But I will just say that I think I saw that replay of, of the Delhi Alley ha- handball. Yeah, the, the, was it or wasn't it a handball? I, I saw that replay more than I've seen my friends this year. <laughs> I, I, I'll be able, I'll be able to conjure the image of that replay uh, almost in every single detail in about five years' time easily. Right, Spurs this week. Currently languishing, actually, below Man United in the table. Uh, but they're heading off to Belgrade uh, for uh, what's actually not an easy game. Uh, although they did have a resounding victory against Red Star. Uh, when was that? The, you know, the week before last. But not an easy game away, uh, particularly if Harry Kane's still suffering from the after effects of that virus. But anyway, that's all part of the Champions League midweek. We'll discuss that on Tuesday's show. Right now, though... Having titillated you with a little bit of managerial odds, let's now get the full Monty uh, from producer Ben, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Here he is, listeners, your friend of mine, Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with the Champions League, please. Uh, Liverpool are taking on Gonk. Give us the first goal-scorer market here, because I think there's going to be some rotation. Well, given that Liverpool are 1-14 to to win this match, it's no surprise at all that they absolutely dominate the goal-scoring markets too. In fact, the first 13 players in our betting are all from the home side. Four of those, you know the ones, plus Divacarigi, are odds-on to score any time. And it's also odds-on 4-11 that Liverpool score at least three times in this game. Over to the Europa League then, it's Man United versus Partizan Belgrade. Give us some markets here, please. Well, our traders are bullish about United's chances here, which means that Solskjaer isn't the only one after all. We go a massively short 1-3 to three for a home win with Partizan outsiders at 17-2. If you aren't convinced by the idea of backing an odds-on Man United side and who could blame you, there could be value in the double chance. It's 21-10 that Partizan don't lose this one. All right then, back to the Premier League. And Sheffield United put in a fantastic performance this weekend, find themselves in sixth place. Um, Can they finish in the top half this season? (laughs) 
We go two to one here, which has free fallen since the start of the season. The Blades really have been brilliant. Further testament to that is the fact they're now 13 to two to get relegated, several times less likely than being in the top 10. Not bad for a team that we made odds on to go down in pre-season. Oops. And finally, all sorts of rumours over the weekend about Unai Emery. Can you give us the next manager market at Arsenal, please? Yeah, pressure building Emery, though he's still third in the sack race betting behind Hassan Hootel and Marco Silva. But over the weekend, we saw a big move on his successor with a new favourite installed. And yes, it's Jose Mourinho. Although I'm sure the special one is keeping tabs on the situation in Munich too at the minute. Jose is 5-2 to two to be the next Arsenal manager, incredibly, with Mikel Arteta 5-1, to one, Patrick Vieira 6-1, to one, Brendan Rodgers 7-1 to one, and Freddie Lundberg 10-1. to one. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate. At the time of recording, it's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Now, listener, before we leave you today... Got some excitements. Benji's research. We'll be diving into that very shortly. We've got some of your questions. Also want to let you know that the Scottish League Cup final in December, finalists have been decided. Michael, can you guess who they are? Yes, you can. Anyway, <laughs> more details on that in the Totally Scottish Football Show later this week. Tuesday's European version of the Totally Football Show will be talking about why this weekend Bayern got done 5-1, who they're going to replace their manager with as a result, why PSG also lost to the bottom of the table, and what happened in all the other games, which also saw Barcelona getting beaten and Real Madrid failing to win, and what it all means for the midweek fixtures. Uh, also, after recently having Frida Fagerland on, telling us about the exciting climax of the Swedish season, you'll be delighted to know that it's now concluded with Djurgården. Jack, remember them? Yes. Your garden. I do. They came back from 2-0 down to get the point they needed to secure the title. After which, did you see, the club sporting director fainted from the excitement. Oh. They were doing the trophy lift and he quite literally fainted. And have you heard the story about it's the trophy? It's your garden. This means more. Have you heard about the trophy? I've not heard about the trophy. In 2010, some rumours went around that there were secret messages engraved <gasps> inside the trophy, including one that said, Your garden are the best. So the trophy underwent keyhole surgery and there's, there's footage of surgeons, I suppose, kind of... Probing yeah. around with the camera? Yeah. And what did they find? And they found... Uh, it's true. There, there is a message inside the trophy. By the people who made the trophy? Presumably. Wow, this I'm, is huge. I'm going to guess that actual surgeons might have had better things to do. Well, look... It's, look I've, uh, also, of all the things you could write, Jorgo and are the yeah. best. <laughs> surgeon. That's remarkable. It is a surgeon. Can I see a <laughs> oh, yeah, he's in a white coat and everything. Yeah, genuine yeah. surgeon. Well, he's certainly some sort of technician. Anyway, that's, that's, that's amazing. Probably not a lot of work out there for trophy surgeons, is there? <laughs> Possibly not. Uh, however, uh, Ru Lang would like to know, after Robertson's full, running full pelt Thunderbolt, I was wondering what the Potter's favourite type of header is. Do you have a favourite type of header? Uh, yes, a header from a player with dreadlocks. Okay. Um, so, the for example, Rude Hullet's headers yeah. in like in, in Euro '88 mm. was, were just so aesthetically pleasing because his head goes and then the dreadlocks go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nice. Partly because I know it's what Michael would say, but I'm going to say the the kind of reverse angled header, a la Jared Borghetti from Mexico, <laughs> right. and I actually scored one of those Did no, you in a in a six side game. Yeah. I promise you, I got a round of applause. From like everyone on the pitch, they were mainly strangers. This was a kind of a neighbourhood game in uh, Elephant and Castle. Right. <laughs> Fella chipped it over the defence, uh -huh. and I, you know, I was off balance, so I fell over afterwards because it was I was leaning so far. Right. Arced the header, and the goals, honestly, it was funny shaped goals. They're only about three or four feet high. Right. And it looped and just dipped into the far corner. That's magical. That is. That's it, it was now my one favorite. of the best moments of my life. Right. Michael, what about you? <laughs> I really like near post. Like where it's about the run and the jump, a little bit like the Pulisic header that um, Foster mm. made a really good save from. Mm. My favourite example is it in Zaggy goal. Mm. I can't remember who it's against, but there's like he's waiting on the penalty spot, and there's kind of three defenders at the near post, and you think he might go in front of the first one, and he doesn't. He might go in front of the second one, he doesn't, and he goes in front of the third one, who's like so far ahead of the near post. It's a ludicrous place to run, 
But of course, Inzaghi being Inzaghi, the ball actually ends up in that place and he flicks it into the far corner. Brilliant. It's just, the run is really strange and the header is just incredible. So yeah, any near post header I like. Brilliant. Brilliant. Your real answer is Borghetti, isn't it? The Borghetti is the best <laughs> header ever. Okay. Do you remember the, the Luis, Luis Garcia scoring a header from like the edge of the box? That's a great It was an amazing header. Like really far out header is a great final. Right, well, well. You, I mean, your man, Andy Carroll, used to be about the finest exponent of the, the headed goal all around, huh? Yeah, but it was pretty, you know, Andy Carroll headers were fairly formulaic. It's just, Sort of chip the ball up, long run up, and bosh. But he, I remember him putting them in from miles out. Maybe, yeah. But I think that Lewis got. I'm not sure I've ever seen a header from further out than that, apart from the sort of freak ones from the halfway yeah, line or whatever. Right. There was a really good one. Do you remember that header Maresca scored, James, in the derby? Where it was like a long range <laughs> header, and then he did the celebration that caused with, a proper riot. With the Hyatt, uh, yeah. with the horns, rather. I've yeah. never seen a celebration cause an actual fight like that. Wow. It was brilliant. Brilliant. And the header was good, but the celebration was better. And of course, the wonderful goal against Spain. In the what was that 2010 World Cup, the Dutch was it? Oh, Van Persie, uh, 2014, yeah, yeah, oh, 2014, right? Yeah, mm, that was. I mean, that was a unique header, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was diving onto a straight pass and lobbed the keeper. <laughs> yeah. It was just weird. Mm. All right, Popperton Pink says, Ooh, just ask questions about Benji Lanyardo's Premier League player research. Benji, what's this? What yeah, I did something to? very nerdy. Um, I, I looked at all the different nationalities that have played in the Premier League uh-huh. to work out sort of the the ranking of Why? which national. Uh, uh, good, good question. <laughs> um, anyway, the ranking of what? How so, often uh, they featured? Yeah, of all the minutes played in the Premier League, right. Which nationalities are most representative? The first, obviously, English. But 100, f- 113 different nationalities have played in the Premier League. Right, that's out of 195 countries. Yeah. In the world, but the, the fun. I'm getting bit, this from your, I, I've oh, got right. your article right here. Okay, don't no spoilers. But it, the fun bit, the fun yeah. bit is there are 16 players who are their country's one and only representative, right? Um, in the Premier League at the moment, or no, ever. since uh, ever. A couple of them so are in the league. So there's been a player from Montserrat. Yeah, two players from Montserrat. Two players. Real Fox. Yes, Fox. Michael. Um, although he played for Montserrat, I think after he'd retired. Yeah, yeah. still counts. Okay, brain of Britain. Who was the player from Seychelles who featured in the Premier oh. League? Oh. Um, if you get this, I'll be amazed. It's not like Cardiff. He might keep it. No, that was Philippines. That's Philippines. Yeah. So he's he's a one and only. Oh, right. oh hang on. Sacha, was it like a Fulham player? Yes. Come on, Michael. You can do this. You can do this. He played six minutes in the Premier League, and it makes him the hundred thirteenth most represented country. It's not like Kevin Betts. It bloody is. Is it Kevin Betts? <laughs> yes, mate. That's amazing. That's extraordinary. I think yeah. I saw a unique one of the weekend uh, for Norwich. You did a Cuban. Oh, now Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. Is the only ever Cuban. The other ones currently playing are for Kenya. The only ever Kenyan. Wanyama. Um, and technically still owned by a Premier League club. Mkhitaryan is actually the only other Armenian. Armenian I thought that was quite fair. surprising. Okay. There's a bunch of other ones that are vaguely interesting. Isn't there can... some, uh, some mad one? Because when he played for like ch- someone... Look at that pie what? chart, chat. <laughs> Look at that. That's fantastic. Right. Listen, if you want to see something... I mean, these pie charts are worth it. Go to our Twitter page because, you know, this this belongs to the people now. This This database that you've created... <laughs> Um, yeah, and for West Ham fans, um, the only ever Ugandan to play in the Premier League was Savio. Yeah, the guy went missing, didn't he? He kidnapped himself. Um, he, he, do you remember Savio? We bought him yeah. for £9 million from Brescia for no good reason. Yeah, uh-huh. He ended up playing in like, the Thai fourth division or something. And he kidnapped himself. He kidnapped him, himself to extort his own family. That always works well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. How, how, was he rumbled? Yes, he was rumbled. It was, it was, uh, it was all over the press. And he's, yeah, he's, he's had a very, very strange career. But... Only ever Ugandan playing the Premier League. Uh, all Fer- those strange things Islands. have happened. Yeah. Then one. For, uh, yes. Come on, Michael. Nielsen. Yes. Man City keeper. What, what, yes. Uh, what else have we got in terms okay, of right. nations not, that only not been represented? mentioned? Albania, Lorik Sana. Um, well, give it. Can, can we get have a couple of seconds? <laughs> but, sorry. Okay, but yeah. Albania wasn't um, <laughs> played for Lazio for bleeding ages. Uh, Barami. Barami no Swiss. Swiss. So it's super. The, ah. the way the data works, if you play for another country, it supersedes. Oh, so, I see. So, so, so for, for example, there is a Pakistani player. Yeah. Called Zesh Rahman. Zesh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um he was born in Birmingham but played for Pakistan. He's Brilliant. the one, he's the one and only. Okay. Um, others uh, uh Angola. Oh, oh manager the Man United. Well Did Manicha. you say it already? Yeah, Man yeah. so quick. Burkina Faso. Oh, oh, I know this one, but Come there's no way I'm gonna Go be able to come up with the name, but I know Next who this Chelsea. is. Uh, Correct. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Central African Republic no one's going to get this I didn't know that one. no one's going to get this it's Frederick Nemani who played for Burnley um, Cape Verde a centre back called Pele who played for, for, for West Brom uh, Gambia Gettable this is Gettable I think Gambia if you're Michael Cox 
It's Mo Barrow who played on the wing for oh, yeah. for Swansea. Aman. Uh... Al Habsi. Correct. And Philippines, Neil Etheridge being mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I think we've mentioned them all. And the last one is Emmanuel Mayuka, who was the only Zambian. Wow. Yeah, he won Afghan with Zambia. Oh, was he part of that? He was, yeah, yeah. That's just extraordinary. Extraordinary research, extraordinary knowledge. And Jack and I uh, feel really privileged to have even been present at that display from you both. I didn't see that, but I'm looking forward to reading the article. It's on my Twitter and also on uh, the Totally Football Show's Twitter as well. Brilliant. All right. Well, high point of the week. And uh, we'll be back on, well, Tuesday, actually, with that European special. Benji, you'll be back soon, I hope. Sure. Brilliant. We'll look forward to that. Jack Lang, lovely to see you and all. You too, James. And you, Mr. Cox. Thank you. See you. Actually, I'll see you very soon because we're off to Ireland together. Yeah. So that'll Well, be you're fun. getting a separate flight, actually, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Business class, no doubt. Brilliant. So um, I'll see you. <laughs> Uh, outside the lounge uh, and uh, listener catch us tomorrow then uh, for now from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too thetotallyfootballshow.com <laughs>